Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Bengal Tiger Podcast. Today is the Monday Mailbag Edition. Shay, are you excited to answer? We have 17 questions. Are you excited to get through them? We'll do speed dating uh, with the, the posters here. I'm not. We're not spinning forever uh, at each table. Yes, we can go fast with it. 17 is a that's the healthiest dose we've taken yet. So yeah, I, I feel like no, that was a completely. I was about to get way off topic. I was gonna say I feel like speed dating was like a thing like 15 years ago, and it's just never happens anymore. Not that I would know, but you should know. You're like 20 something. I know. No, I mean I wouldn't know like what happened 15 years ago. That's what I'm saying. Oh, got it. Got like I feel it, like they were like oh, 15 apps. years ago where they just the kids show are up all and... on the apps. <laughs> all right. Well, let, we have questions from the board. Again, if you want to send questions in, you can become a subscriber for a dollar for an entire year. For those who have sent in questions, we thank all of you. We have your names on here this time, so we'll be able to properly attribute the questions. Uh, let's get this thing started with we we knew we were going to get a lot of offensive line questions, but let's do it. start with does Emory Jones stay at right tackle as Camp Captain Planet 246? No doubt, right? I mean, he played – well, was a highly graded offensive lineman, offensive tackle across the SEC. Uh, I think I saw someone on the board had posted that, um, or maybe it was on Twitter, uh, Cody Warsham, I think may have posted that Will Campbell was the highest graded offensive tackle in the SEC this week, and that Emory Jones was fourth. And that's a pair of true freshmen, which LSU confirmed was the first time ever in program history that two true freshmen have started at the two tackle spots in the same game. So, yeah, I would think you want to keep that rolling, right? I, I think so, too. Um, if it's not broke, don't fix it at this point. And Emory, I mean, Jones, played or... tackle. Emory Jones played tackle in high school. So, you know, at Catholic these past years, I know that he was ranked and recruited as an interior guy, you know, an offensive guard, but he can play tackle. Yeah, and I'm interested, though, in how adding Anthony Bradford back changes, if it does change anything, will he bump out? Miles Frazier, or will they just keep the same five in there? Uh, but I think we have that question coming later, so let's save that. Uh, how is uh, Jane Daniels? How is Jane Daniels? He was sim- seemed gimpy mid third quarter on asks LSU alignment. Great name. I I'm, no doubt he's fine, right? I mean, yeah, see, I mean, seemed fine post game. You saw him fine. after the game. I mean, he just he had, had the giant cuts, yeah, had- cut on his head. He had a couple cuts down his head. He said he didn't know how that happened. He got hit at some point, he thought, and came off and was bleeding. But, yeah, he, he seemed fine. And Brian Kelly probably called him, you know, gritty and tough 15 times in the press conference after. So, clearly what y'all saw on TV or in the stadium was what uh, kind of was happening for them during the game and on the sidelines in, in terms of him, him kind of getting beaten up and just moving through it. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how this offense is, is going to be. It's going to be relied on him being tough, making plays, like that touchdown run where he just kind of muscled it in. Um, so, yeah, but he seemed fine. All right, next question. Why not use Jack Besh in the passing in a, the passing role he is using Mason Taylor in since Besh is way more dynamic as Tiger Gade? And I think I wrote, I wrote about this a little bit. I mean, I wrote about the – them not using Jack Besh after the Florida State game, right? That was the whole my whole thing. I was like, you know, they're going to need Jack Besh more and more. And I still believe that to a degree. The, the reason they're using Mason Taylor is because I think they want the threat of having him as a blocker at all times. Even though when he's flanked out, we've seen them motion him in, you know, to one of these run packages to where he's crashing across or he's just coming in to help the run game. 
My problem is I don't think he's a very good run blocker at this point in his career. And so with that being the case, yeah, I would love to see Besh in his role a lot more um, because I don't think it's a conventional tight end role. It's not like Mason Taylor is lined up with his hand in the dirt off the edge of the tackle 80% of the time. You know, he's just not. He's flanked out a lot. So I would love to see Besh, Besh in that role. But they seem to think Mason Taylor can do that um, very well, even though he had a game where he had one reception and there were six targets to him. So I don't, I, I think Besh would be better there personally. Nope, I'm with you. But I'm also with you in the sense that Ben Brock, someone who wants to use tight ends in his offense, is sort of committed at this stage, at least it seems, to yes. the development over, of Mason Taylor over. Jack Besh stealing those snaps just to get him on the field in some sort of pass catching role. Like I think if everyone, if I think if Denbrock's like, Hey, if we want to get him into a pass catching role, then I'm keeping him a receiver and I'm just putting him in the game and he's played some, and there's been kind of some videos that have gone around and people who've watched the game saw it, but where, you know, you shared even a gif, I think Maddie B during the game of kind of a couple of routes where Daniels had people open and Besh was one of those guys once again. Mm -hmm. So He's been out there. His target share is just two targets in three games, and he's caught both of them and has a touchdown. So it's far off from – you know, I I don't expect Boutte or Neighbors numbers. They're at 19 and 16 targets, right? He's at two. I don't expect that. I do expect him to be closer to the Jenkins, Thomas – Mason Taylor crowd who are all sitting at 9, 10, 12, 13 targets than he is. So two is wildly low. You would have to think that changes. Yeah, I mean, this I is mean, a guy who led LSU in receiving a year ago. Like, I know that they have a great receiver room, but it seems like everybody's kind of eating right now. You know what I'm saying? Except him. Like, Kyron Lacey has more targets than he does. So we'll, we'll kind of see how it pans out. Yeah, we'll see. All right. Thanks for your question. Let's see what else we got here. Why are we not utilizing our best personnel in punt and kick returns? No offense to Clayton, but he should not see more than the practice field at LSU. Asked Tiger Gabe. You can go first on this one. I mean, we've you're the special teams guy on this podcast. I'm definitely not. I'm only the just the person who says what's good and bad each game. That's it. I'm just shooting it straight. Um, I, mean, I don't I, know. I, I I'm sure like... there's coaching philosophies to play, right? I mean, like. I remember last year during the or at times during the Orgeron era when he would have Keishon Butte out there doing stuff on special teams, like in coverage units, and people would throw their hands up and say, Why are the best players out there? Put the backups, you know, you're risking injury. And then when they do put, you know, or when they're not putting the best players out there, we're complaining about not that I'm picking on Tiger Gabe here, but anybody who's looking on and saying, Well, why is the walk-on receiver out of UTSA out there? Don't you have someone else that's sort of a happy medium i would think so right like greg clayton, special, clayton didn't even play special teams at utsa yeah and he's been out of high school for a while now so like it's not like he was some dude they like brought in from the portal that was like oh man he's got a lot of experience returning punts so yeah i would have to think there's that search for a punt returner can't be over right like if malik neighbors got benched who's infinitely more talented. I don't know, I don't know about infinite. I, I'm not going to say that he's I'll clearly better. He's clearly a better, yeah, I'll say a better, he's clearly a better punt returner than Greg Clayton, or he wouldn't have been starting the first week. Right. Like if two muff punts for him gets him pulled for good, that's questionable to me because 
Greg Clayton has now fielded a ball at the one, basically, and dove in on a loose ball, dived on a loose ball that had no business even being near in the second half of a really tight game that you're trying to come back and win. I don't know. I, my point being this this search for a punt returner has got to continue. Like, it can't just stop here. I think they go back to Malik at some point. Why not? I don't know when, I don't know when but I feel like the, I feel like they will. I And to get to the – I think you made a good point. It's like when when fans see the best players on special teams, sometimes a lot of times they're like, oh, why are we doing that? For example, Alabama last year lost their receiver because he was a gunner on the punt, punt, uh, punt coverage team. So it's like it's give or take. Uh, I think – at times, also, it takes kind of a, a special player to be that type of Odell Beckham return man, to be that type of tyrant, you know, that player. And I'm not, I don't know if LSU has that type of player as far as punt and kick returner that can change the game. So if they, if you don't have a guy that can change the game in that way, you just want someone that can catch the ball. So, um, next question Is the O line finally settled or are more changes coming? asked Mr. Virgo. Ooh, ooh. talked Man. about it a little bit earlier you're you're, I, get, you're, you don't have great odds here i like you know they've changed they've had three opportunities to change it so far and they've changed it to a different one each time so you've got to make a hard stance here for answering yes well the thing is the thing is against new mexico i think they're going to keep it the same i think they keep it the same and they roll with it again they say all right we've seen it once now obviously then this time it's going to be lesser competition but we want to see it again and so that way you have two games of film going forward. You, you Obviously, plenty of guys will get reps, assuming um, the spread is like 29 and a half right now. If they're up 28 going into the fourth quarter, you'll see plenty of guys come in and come out. Um, I'm interested, and this is what I asked you, is do you think Anthony Bradford being back changes anything for this game and moving forward? Like, Do you think he fights for one of those starting jobs on the right side? I mean, he has to, right? Like, if Anthony Bradford is back, he wasn't hurt. I mean, he was out there. He just was not. He was in, you know, a jersey and sweatpants yeah. uh, hanging out with a couple other guys. Um, I would – we've heard buzz that it was sort of a one-game deal, violation of team rules, kind of coach-issued, you're sitting out of this one type of thing. So, yeah, he'll be – he was already starting. Like, he started both games, right, the first yeah. two. So – Yes, you'd have to think he's going to be back in that mix. I don't, but I'm I'm in the camp that they keep the same five starters. Like I didn't I see anything so egregious to believe that you need to yank them. And in fact, I think those five guys have individually each played the best out of everyone of like all of my options. Like Bradford Short Turner's Wider. the only one I don't know. I'd have to watch Turner. Okay. I have to watch Turner again whenever I watch the film today. All right. Well, so my point being is I, I yeah. get like I don't have any glaring issues with anyone that's in the lineup right now. It would be my point. Yeah. So now I watched I went down there to the field before the game because I wanted to see, OK, is Bradford going to be out? And what's it going to look like? And Emory Jones, Bradford was out. Emory Jones is a right tackle. Uh, true freshman, obviously, we talked about. And <clears throat> that was kind of the lineup the whole time. But they were working in Xavier Hill a good bit into the group and word was that that or not word was that was his first game back kind of being available and dressed out uh, after sitting out the first couple. So it seemed like they were ready to pull the trigger on Hill if they needed to. And he would probably be a guy, actually we've seen him at tackle and guard, but 
Um, mm-hmm. I saw him working some at guard. So I don't know if kind of he and Miles Frazier would be the guys and Bradford is who you're looking at at the right guard spot or if there's any more movement elsewhere. But the return of Xavier Hill, who has played some football for LSU in the past already, he started, he's come on off the bench, whatever it might be. He's a veteran in comparison to pretty much the rest of the group. You know, I think he's a junior now. So that'd be the guy I'd Hill and Bradford are kind of who I'm keeping an eye on. Yeah. All right. What are your plans for getting Daniels, uh, Jaden Daniels more comfortable, uh, comfortable enough to start letting the ball loose? Is it a trust issue with himself or the receivers? Asked Bayou Tiger 22. I, I, I have like no it, plans for Daniels. Yeah, I don't staff. That was a the thing is he was talking to me. The thing is, is Daniels. You want to obviously with any quarterback get some quick throws into him. You know, make it easy, make the reads easy for him, and so that that's what we'll see if that continues or how they continue to to evolve that because Florida State and Mississippi State played them very differently. So I'm interested moving forward to see how they do it. I think he's getting a little bit more comfortable, but I think it the. I think it's just his nature still at this point to not force things. I think he's really scared of making the mistakes and turning the ball over, which he did at Arizona State last year and I believe the the year before. Like the last two years, he's turned the ball over more than he's wanted to. This year to this point, he hasn't thrown a pick. So you go through that stretch and you go through the offseason where you are the best runner. And if you can just not throw the ball away, then I think he's – then he won the quarterback job, and I think he's going to be fine moving forward. So I think there's a little bit of hesitancy within himself to make those tight throws, but also at times I think he's missing guys as far as finding the receivers. So it's it's a catch-22, but I said, like I said on the last podcast, I did not have a problem with how he played um, at all against Mississippi State. I mean, he's going to make some throws. He's going to miss some throws. So we go from there. Yeah, I think that – for me, it's probably, and you kind of touched on it. It's it's a lot. Of, it's two things. I think if we're if we're talking about Daniels and maybe what's going through his head as he processes things during the game, or or just kind of how he develops across the season. When you've been a three year starter at Arizona State, where you're getting beaten some games, you know you're in tight games, you blow out some bad comp, whatever it might be. You don't have the talent around you that you do at LSU. And as you said, he was having to make a lot of plays throwing picks, having to force things. And I think that here he got coached up this offseason well enough to where these few games he's played are three of the best games he's got in terms of statistical kind of efficiency, a balance of run pass, not turning the ball over. And he started 30-something college games. So I think he's kind of – they've coached him into a spot where, yes, okay, he's comfortable and all that. But I think he now senses the second point is – he doesn't fully grasp how much talent they've got right at receiver yet. And I don't, I think he knows how much talent they have, but to really trust them, like the third down or that was actually fourth down to Malik neighbors where they just went, you know, on a yeah. deep ball one-on-one and faked the out route and just went straight up on the fade. Like he'll start to trust those guys more. I think he's coming from a spot where he didn't have that trust always with the receivers. And he was having to make a lot of the plays on his own. And look, that is the case right now. He's going to run for a thousand yards this year. So that's, He's bringing an element that other quarterbacks aren't bringing you when they're in the game. So, yes, there's going to be probably some give and take that you have there with, yeah, he's not going to be a pure passer that you want him to be in terms of, you know, 
I don't know, I'm 70 something percent passer so far. I can't hate on it. I think it's actually, I think he's, I'm in the camp that he's played very well. Um, but I think people expecting like perfection in the passing game aren't really sitting here and understanding kind of the quarterback Jaden Daniels is. And he'll yeah. settle in and realize how good these players are and that he doesn't have to make every play. But right now you'll take it because it's won you a couple games and obviously got you close to a win in the in the first game when he was definitely the best player you had. Yes. All right. Next question is about the run game. And I think I'm going to do my film study today on the run game. So we'll skip over that one. Raspberry for uh, appreciate the question though, as far as diversity in the run game. So I'm going to look a little bit more into that uh, as far as what changed from the first half to second half against Mississippi state. Um, the diversity isn't quite there, but coaches don't really, if there's one thing I've learned as far as run game, a lot of coaches just stick to what they know and what they trust in run, in the run game. So that's kind of how I approach that. But I'll, I'll get a film study up on that in uh, today at some point. All right, next question. With Will and Emery only being freshmen, do you think the future uh, – do you think in the future with Zalen Turd and Tyree Adams, um, they'll move to guards next to them too? You know, it's it'll be – Interesting talking about two guys who were top 10 offensive tackles, both committed to LSU out of Louisiana, and they'll be on this team next year. If we're presuming Emory and Will have starting spots and that those two guys can make some early run and, and kind of put themselves in position to start competing for playing time, I think they're just finding ways to get the best five on the field because I think that if you look at what Kelly did at Notre Dame and what a lot of these Midwest schools do, Iowa, Wisconsin, that have great offensive lines, they'll recruit all the tackles in the world and they'll just keep moving them inside, inside. And you just get more athletic across the offensive line and more athletic as you get more of these guys who can handle themselves in the, in the, in the run game, but obviously pass pro really well. And they have some natural athleticism to them. Like I think the days of these, like Anthony Bradford would be a rare exception. And I'm not sure Kelly and them would even go after him at this point. If this were like coming around again and he was recruit now, Right now, he's probably one of the best five offensive linemen they have. But I just think he's such a – to be 350-plus and playing at tackle and guard is is so far from the norm. So, yeah, I think a lot of these guys like Adams and, and Zalance, who are 285 to, to kind of 305, uh, are kind of going to be the norm for them. And, and they don't really care if it's a tackle or guard or putting them at center and cross-training them, whatever it might be. I think they're fine with it. That's kind of the mold of O-linemen they're going to go after. Yeah, I don't mean. And we're seeing it now. They're moving these guys to center, to tackle, to guard. I mean, they're going to find a way to put the best five guys on the field. Yeah, and Emory can obviously bump inside if they need him to. Um, I forgot to attribute that question. That's from Cordell, spelled with an O and a four. Uh, Next question. Are there any guys we haven't seen much of this year that could be significant contributors later this year? I guess aside from Fusha and Banks. I'm thinking about young guys who are not playing big roles but have potential to move into the rotation at Russell Bow. Jeez, I, didn't, I, assume you, um, I assume you mean it's true freshman. True I freshman. I know that was like a later young, freshman. Oh, yeah. Okay. Player. Okay. That's a um, we, can, we can group this question here with famous Amos's who says, Who's up next as far as freshmen that we haven't seen yet? And is there another name to check together. chance to crack the starting lineup with Perkins, Emory, et cetera? I guess et cetera in that case, et cetera in that case would be like a Mason Taylor at tight end. Um, so those would be – This is tough. Emory, Emory, Will Campbell, 
Mason Taylor, and Harold Perkins would be three guys who are obviously playing a lot right now. I'm not sure. Quincy, I'll go Quincy Wiggins. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Quincy Wiggins as well. Tyge yeah. Hill, he said would uh, Brian Kelly said would back would be the backup defense. They just tackle. don't have any more. Yeah, it's him and Bryce Langston. That's all the guys oh. left they have on the interior. So, and I think Wiggins is versatile enough to play a couple different spots, especially if they kind of have multiple looks. So, I mean, he's probably 280 as a freshman. Um, but I can't remember if he did get in this past weekend. He definitely dressed, but he said he would only play special teams. Kelly did, but he said he should be 100% for this game, New Mexico. So we'll see Wiggins for the first time as a true freshman this weekend, at least yeah. in some sort of D-line role. Yeah, I don't think there's anything, anybody else that, that'll really contribute this year as far as freshmen go. I mean, I don't think we see DeMario. And Walker Taylor. Howard's. Yeah, Walker Howard's taking a, a red shirt. Yeah, I don't think we see Jordan Allen too much or LaTerrence Walsh or uh, Jalen Davis Robinson too much at all, barring health, knock on wood. So, well, if, yeah, yeah well, think... we may see some Landon Ibietta if uh, at receiver. Just they don't have a very deep room there. We've already seen some walk-ons get run. Uh, yeah, and then at, at end of games, they've been sitting on Chris Hilton and Kyron Lacey and kind of just letting them have all the runs. So, yeah, I would think if Ibietta gets healthy and gets in the groove, he, I think he's like the eighth scholarship receiver they have. So yep. he can play in some games and still not burn a red shirt. Yeah. All right. Um, I don't have the question thing up anymore. Here it is. Let's see. Go I got gotcha. you. Go ahead. Um, I have it up now. Okay. Well, they, someone asked about Jack Besh being utilized more. I guess we sort of already touched on that. Uh, do we expect to see more creativity within the offense as the season continues uh, with run schemes, et cetera? Okay. I guess you're going to kind of touch on that. Like you said, in the. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, uh, like I said, going at, uh, like I said before, I coaches are, are what they are in a lot of ways. And while I think they'll continue to add things, obviously, it's kind of like at this point in the year, I feel like it's a lot more preparing for the opponent and running things that will hurt the opponent more so than just adding things to add. You don't just add things to add things. You add things to try to catch the opponent off guard. So I think they could, but I don't think it'll be anything crazy. Um, Russell DeBow had asked the question about significant contributors. Um, Then Josh Talford had asked that other question about the run scheme and, uh, kind of different concepts. Uh, JWP, does JD5, Jaden Daniels have enough arm strength for the deep ball? Uh, you want to take this one? I'd I think he yes. does. I, I definitely yeah. – I, I think he – I definitely – oh, I know he does. I've, I watched his tape at Arizona State, and he made plenty of deep deep shots. A lot of their offense was very simplistic. Um, take your shots when you have them because they didn't have a ton else going on. Um, they weren't a bad team last year, but he took plenty of shots last year. He made throws. I thought actually his long ball was – was solid last year with Arizona state. He made plenty of throws on that. So I think it's fine. I don't think it's his inability to make throws. I think that it is, um, has it been pretty conservative as far as play play calling goes, as far as what they're doing with their passing concepts. And then also um, I think some, a lot of times he's in his own head. Like we talked about earlier, he just does not want to make that one mistake that cost them the game because they have so much talent on the defense. They have talent on the outside. He just doesn't want to be the the reason that they lose uh, at times. I let's see, that was JWP. Okay, uh, Perseus 01. Did Seven Banks play in the Mississippi State game? I thought Coach Kelly said he would get out there. Did he? I did he get to some rotation? Maybe he didn't record any stats. So I'm not gonna lie, uh, I do not remember off the top of my head. Uh, 
I do not remember seeing him out there. I, I check personnel pretty frequently, but I don't write it down. I don't remember I don't... seeing him in on any plays. He, he didn't record I... any stats. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I know they have a participation list. Uh, if you go to the stats, bo- like box score, and then scroll over to participation, I could check that. But um, I did not see him out there. And so even if he did play. Okay, here you go. Yeah, I've got it. Uh, dressed out but did not play. So okay. I guess he's kind of still – that's his first time dressing out. So inching closer to getting on the field for the first time following a hip injury that I think was the final three games of last year. So we're coming up on about, gosh, 11 months probably since he's played football. I mean, that um, was the concern. That was the concern when he came over here was no doubt. his health and – and, and that's why they took a lot of transfer corners. I mean, it was, I think he was one of the last ones, really. Yeah. Um, you know, they had a, had a lot of these other guys in the boat already and then added Colby Richardson uh, out of McNeese over the summer. Um, but, yeah, we'll see him eventually. But even yeah. then, Kelly said, look, he's going to have to shake off some rust and he'll just be a rotational guy. But they'll take all they can get at cornerback right now. They're playing well there, but they don't – they can't afford any injuries. Um, yeah. All right. The next question is about running backs and uh, like run I said, game. old bourbon and Cheerios with that one gets a shout out to Todd Grantham in there. All right. All right. Um, again, you're okay. Your mailbag or your film study on running backs is now you're pot committed here because yeah, I know now I, ha- now I have to answer all three of these in, in the film study. So there you go. Oh, good. Yeah. Give them shout outs there. Uh, who's next? Oh, we asked the famous famous one about the freshman. We kind of both agreed it was Quincy Wiggins. Uh, any more news on Noah Kane? Didn't see him get any touches against State. Josh Talford, he did not get any touches against State. In fact, Josh Williams sort of ate up the uh, backup touches beyond uh, Goodwin, who got nine carries. Emory, John Emory was back for the first time in 15 games. Coach Kelly said they would don't expect a big breakout game. We're going to work him in slowly. Uh, 11 carries, uh, 32 yards, so three yards a pop, not great there. Uh, Goodwin, uh, an 8.3 yard a carry effort, but obviously a big chunk of that was the 47 yarder where uh, he kind of put the game away. Um, Josh Williams had just one carry, went for seven yards, uh, but also got targeted four times in the past yeah. game, uh, which was second most behind anyone behind uh, after neighbors. neighbors, who obviously had a huge game. I just don't – Noah Keen was stressed out. I just don't think he's playing right now because touches are now going to three guys, which they had been going to three guys all along. But now that Emory's back, it seems that Josh Williams is the third guy. I, for me, coming out of coming out of a spring ball when they – and then they got Noah Kane, I did the rankings of the 15 transfers that they got, right? I did that. Uh, back whenever they were finishing up, this was before Seven Banks was added, I think. Noah Kane was either the last one or second to last. Personally, I was very underwhelmed by his film at Penn State. I was, I didn't think, I mean, he was coming off an injury last year, I know, but I didn't think he had the explosiveness. I just didn't see it. I thought he's a good pass protector, but there were, and he's good awareness. I just didn't see him being that RB1 or RB2 even for LSU. This year, especially with Armani Goodwin, personally, I just didn't see it over the offseason. And this isn't to take a victory lap, but a lot of people were saying they could see him being the starter. You know, they could see him being uh, a really talented back. And I just didn't see it. Maybe he pops back on the scene. Maybe this was just a one game uh, thing. But 
I don't see him being better than Armani. I would give the ball to Armani Goodwin a thousand times over him personally. So you have John Emery back now. You work him back. You get Emery Goodwin one two punch. You get let Josh Williams come in there for the pass game or a pass pro or whatever he's in there for as a third back. You let Kane do that as well at times, sure. But to me, it's Goodwin and it is um, Emery. Like those are the two backs to me at this point. So certainly looked like it uh, after that state game. Uh, okay, um, two more. What specifically did the new strength conditioning team? Do to have LSU prepared, and how does that differ from the Moffat approach? Famous Amos asked that. We've heard Kelly circle conditioning after Florida State, after Mississippi State, saying it was sort of really evident to him that the guys were well-trained and well-conditioned, and uh, they never looked winded late into those games, which allowed them to kind of close um, with both, both games with really big second halves. Um, I think – Without knowing all the nuances of it, like I don't think they're probably like they're not lifting different weights or anything in that. Like I think where I think the biggest thing with Jake Flint and his staff, which is a new staff, is they like Moffitt is from a this generation that sort of set the standard for what weightlifting was. Um, gosh, for a good 20, 30 years. Well, as time changes and evolves, all those people do too. But guys like Jake Flint were assistant strength guys in the, in this era uh, and we're really heavily into analytics and into the data behind it and into uh, all the sort of different new technologies that can come with taking your strength and conditioning program to another level. And I think that they combine that with uh, obviously coming from uh, Notre Dame, which has been sort of a pipeline uh, of really good strength and conditioning coordinators in this new era, Bama, uh, Indiana, when they were hot, had, uh, guys from ND. So I think it's just probably a lot more new age in a way. And um, whatever they're doing seems to be getting some results right now. Yeah. That, that was the main thing talking to players was you can tell they're kind of fascinated slash enamored slash intrigued by the technology that they're wearing, that they are, you know, seeing on a daily basis. It's still very uh, fresh to them. And so with that being the case, I think that that's what we have to point the finger to. I think you you worded it well. I think that's kind of what it is. But the conditioning aspect of this team, I mean, if, if that's really, and I think that is kind of what separated them from Mississippi State in the fourth quarter, to, I mean, to outscore a team 21-0 to zero at that clip, I mean, you have to chalk it up to uh, conditioning. So, yeah, shout out to I, Coach Flynn and all them. I do want to say this, too, because I think that this – the approach that this strength and conditioning staff, this staff as a whole, I guess, but is taking seems very more so than I've ever seen it before. And and this is just the way things are trending now with, with kind of everything being monitored, but the strength and conditioning staff and the nutrition staff are very much aligned. Uh, Alignment is strong as Kelly uh, would love to see, because even when these guys go to eat in the cat, like you're weighing in before, you know where you're at, you know what your target goal is, you know, and it's just little things every time that's, Hey, look, we've, you've got a mission here. It's you're staying in shape. Here's where you need to be. If you're off, you need to lighten up today. If, if you're, if you're good to go, you can eat anything you want. Right. If you're putting on weight. Um, But I think it's all monitored so much more closely and then so much more in the player's face. Like you can see when they put out, um, videos of them all working out like there's like monitors mounted everywhere in there now with 
running, you know, all their data and guys walking around with iPads. So I think it's, as you said, the players are enamored by it just because I think it's a lot more technical than it's ever been for them before. And again, whatever they're doing seems to be working because we don't see any hands on hips really ever in games right now, which is surprising. Yeah. All right. Last question. Is that a J or an I? That's a J, right? That Jay looks Ray? like a J Reyes. That looks like a J Reyes to me. All right. J Reyes, 1650. Uh, who do you see being our biggest test prior to Bama? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Tennessee. Has to be thing, right. right. Goes Auburn to Florida to Tennessee. That's the stretch. So, uh, New Mexico. Yes, New Mexico. New Mexico. New Mexico. Then Auburn. Then Auburn. Then Tennessee. Then Florida. Then Ole Miss. Ooh. Tennessee or Ole Miss. Ooh. Uh, I'd probably say Tennessee slightly. Ole Miss looked good against Georgia Tech, though. Jesus. Um, one of those two. I'd probably say Tennessee, though, personally. Tennessee scares me. But Tennessee's at home. Ole Miss is – is Ole Miss at home as well? Ole Miss yeah, is at Ole Florida's, Miss at home Florida's well. the one that's on the road. Yeah. Okay. I mean, either way. And had you asked this question after week one, we would have been – slamming florida is the answer right yeah how quickly things change and now florida's a 10 and a half point dog to tennessee so so tennessee's the answer yeah this should tennessee's supposed to be good now so uh that game doesn't happen often before lsu and tennessee and now that it's in tiger stadium that'll be one of the best game day atmospheres of the year um certainly if they can win a couple you know two more games and get to that one at what five four and one whatever it would be yeah four and one that's the thing, the the fortunate. So I'll, I'll say Tennessee. There'll be a lot of pressure on that game to win. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Getting these this home, getting Ole Miss, Tennessee, and Mississippi State at home this year, like that is a huge boost scheduling wise. And that's, Bama. I mean, yeah, and Bama. You throw Bama. Well, in you're there, not so. maybe, probably not going to win, but I mean, yeah, you, you throw, but you, you throw them in there. But yes, you get those those three games that I highlighted there because they're kind of turn games. You know, if if you can get a break here and you can win that game. It changes the, you know, outlook of the season a little bit more. So obviously, Bama would as well, but I'm not really considering them at this moment. So, all right, we did it. We ran through them, uh, avoided someone because I, I said I'm doing a film study on them, so I will yep. have a film study on them. So no, no worries. But covered everything. We appreciate y'all's questions. Um, man, I, I mean, I, I posted on the board pretty late yesterday too, and we still got yeah, flooded well, with questions. So Raspberry Four. Um, Josh Talford, Bourbon and Cheerios. Everyone's trying to figure out about the run game, my guy. So, all right, I have a job. Shameless today. plug. Matthew's got a. I have a job. Got work to do. He's got film study to get after. Check all it right, out the site. I won't eat until I'm done. There we go. All right, shouldn't Long take you too long. All right, uh, we thank y'all for joining us again. If you're watching on the YouTube, are we at a thousand yet, Shay? We we ask that at the end of everyone when we have to ask everyone to follow. And then nine ninety two, we're eight away. Oh man, you're Matthew. Matthew's taking on our YouTube page, and he's very excited at the the growth early on. So everyone's done a good job. But if two more people could step up here, how many eight. was it? Eight. Eight. Nine ninety two. We're at nine ninety two. Ten more people. How about that? Then you can clear the one thousand mark. In then case I can anybody sleep at night. Subscribes. 
I'm staying up at night just hoping, watching the counter tick, just hoping. Um, but yeah, I mean, the podcast or the, the YouTube side is doing great. The podcast side is doing great. We appreciate all y'all for joining us. I mean, if we're getting 1.7K views and only have 992 subscribers, something's not adding up. So make sure y'all subscribe, like, share, comment, all that good stuff. Uh, on the podcast side, leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast. Um, for Shay Dixon, I'm Matthew Bruni. We'll talk to y'all later.